When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. It's Thanksgiving week for all of us. I've poured a nice, stiff cocktail because this is going to be a tough episode to get through. Uh, A tough game to talk about. And I'm just opening the show with saying that it's Thanksgiving week because, you know, you got to be thankful for the little things uh, in your life, especially when you're bummed out by the things that you really care about. And all three of us care about Ravens football here. All the listeners care about Ravens football. So just, you know, take a second this week. Yes, the Ravens are 6-4. and Yes, the wheels do appear to be coming off. Yes, COVID has hit the facility. I could go on, but we're going to try to, you know, be thankful for what, for what we do have, uh, in our lives. And with that, let's get into the episode. I'm Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, first and foremost, Tim Horsey. Tim, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm thankful for this gigantic handle of Jack Daniels that I purchased recently, because I had to crack that thing open tonight. Uh, Not usually good on a Monday, but you know what I mean? It's I love doing this podcast with you guys. I don't love having to re-talk about this game, which, as Jace said before the show started, one of the more infuriating losses in recent history. So um, I'm thankful for dark liquor. Uh, and uh, other than that, doing okay. And uh, Jace Evans. Jace, I, you know, I, I again, I asked him how he's doing, which may have been a mistake. Um, so I'll just frame it with you uh, this way. What are you, what are you thankful for, Jace? Yeah, uh, I'm thankful I don't have to watch that game again <laughs> um, because that was that was 
amongst the most brutal, just the most brutal Ravens losses I think we've seen in quite a while. I, for me, I think, I don't want to say it stung more than the playoff loss. That might have been more of a numbness, but I was definitely angrier <laughs> Sunday afternoon uh, over the events that transpired. For a variety of reasons that we will uh, be getting into uh, here momentarily. But uh, all in all, you know, can't complain too much. Uh, I am in a, a, a different locale where I've watched many Ravens games in the past. Uh, probably more Ravens games than at any point in my life. So that's nice. That's something I'm thankful for uh, this week. But yeah, that game. Oh, wolf. That was rough. <laughs> We're going to talk about this game. 30 to 24 overtime loss at home to the Tennessee Titans, then we'll get into uh, some more NFL talk and preview because we're on a short week also to have to deal with. With the Steelers game coming up Thanksgiving night, assuming that the Ravens still have a roster to bring to Pittsburgh to play that game. Ravens losers now of two in a row, which is part of the reason I think we're so bummed out. Uh, has not, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, has not happened in the Lamar Jackson era, which is why this is... They did go actually back-to-back last year, but the back-to-back last year was that Chiefs game where I think at the time it was an optimistic loss, so I don't think any of us were too upset about that. And then that Browns game, but then they never lost again. (laughs) So it has has (laughs) happened once. Something I can't, uh, I guess, say with any certainty that the Ravens are not going to lose again this season. (laughs) I'll... I'll, uh... I'll rephrase to say that it's happened extremely rarely. This is not uh, a quarterback, not a team that we have been used to seeing lose multiple games, get on any sort of skid. They've tended to either go on streaks or fix things and, and come back with wins, and now things are starting to look worse and worse. This was an ugly game, a rip-your-heart-out kind of game because there were flashes of positivity, comebacks, a late, end-of-game drive that looked like it may have at least put a, a Band-Aid on a big wound, but all for naught in the end. So we're going to get into it here, guys. Again, I'm not going to do the sort of first half, second half, or offense, defense, because there's a litany of issues to talk about uh, as the Ravens continue on in this what was supposed to be the sort of gauntlet stretch of games uh, in November. So I'll turn to you, Tim, with first thoughts uh, that you want to go over about this loss to the Titans. The Baltimore Ravens are no longer a juggernaut, and if you still think they are, you need to wake up and smell the coffee. Um, this team consistently late in games, and sadly I can say consistently now, just falters on both sides of the ball. Just completely loses whatever sort of mojo they used to have. Um, a team that was known for killing games off was... Step on your throat, dominate the team. We're going to run the ball down their throat. We're going to, this second half is going to feel like an hour because it's just going to run the clock, run the clock, run the clock. And we're going to get out of here with a victory. And the team can't do that anymore. Um, you know, I don't want to take everyone's thunder, but a couple, just a couple notes I put down in terms of shooting themselves in the foot. They can't convert on short fields. They get the ball inside the 20 or the 25, I believe, with the Bowser interception field goal because the offense as soon as they get into the red zone everybody just curls up and looks scared and looks nervous and can't figure anything out another roughing the passing passer penalty and i'd love to blame matt judon but it wasn't him on a key third down that gave tennessee three points right before the half when it would have been uh either a punting situation or 
you know, the, the, got, the Ravens would have gotten off the field. Another egregious, egregious pick from Lamar Jackson. Another awful, bad throw. I still think the guy can throw the ball, but he's, he's making it harder and harder to believe in him on some of these tough throws. And this one wasn't even tough. He just way overthrew DuVernay and made it an easy pick. Tennessee goes right down the field for three more points after that. Another drive. Third and one. Lamar gets it easily on a QB sneak, but it's a false start on Mark Andrews. Then they have to go third and six. He misses the throw again. They can't convert. Then that Tennessee drive is the one with the A.J. Brown touchdown, which there's five guys on a wide receiver. I don't care how big and strong he is and how good he looks with his shirt off. Nobody being able to bring him down on a third and ten, which, by the way, was a second and six that turned into a third and ten because you got a sack because you capitalized on a mistake from the Tennessee Titans, and then you allow that to happen. Um, And then the final Baltimore drive after that to try and respond. You just felt like they had to get a touchdown there for the mentality of this team, for like the, hey, we finally got this and we're over this hump that it just seems they're never going to get over now. I'm just reading from Luke Jones here, who I'm going to reference a couple times because he did a great article on WNST.net recapping the game. And apologies, this is a little long, but this is kind of sums a lot of this up. Trailing 21-13 and facing a third and two from the Baltimore four, the Titans faced the exact scenario why they awarded running back Derrick Henry a $50 million contract over the summer. You hand him the ball to get the first down. Instead, Tannehill, and I'm going to paraphrase some of this, threw incomplete to the back of the end zone, and Vrabel settled for a 22-yard chip shot field goal with, to make it a five-point game with 11 minutes left, a sequence that you would never see against Baltimore last year. And Vrabel basically said, I knew our defense was doing okay, and the fact of the matter is nobody is scared of them, as you can see by the, frankly, BS move about running out to the logo before the game. But, hey... If you're not scared of them, go for it. Um, Sunday's deflating 30-24 overtime loss to the Titans exposed the reality that's become more and more apparent since mid-October. The Ravens are struggling to close out games on either side of the ball, a flaw threatening to derail a season that began with such high expectations. Simply put, teams no longer fear them. The Ravens are the heavyweight, once thought to be invincible, who's developed a reputation for having a glass jaw. This team is fragile. This team is average, and it sucks, uh, basically, just compared to what we had last season. Yeah, for me, the thing I keep circling back to, I I know I've said, I'm sure I've said it multiple times this year, but after last year's playoff loss, Marlon Humphrey said that the Ravens might be chokers, right? Uh, And I didn't think too much of it at the time. (laughs) But now, after the events of this season, in the game against Pittsburgh, where you blow a double-digit lead, in the game on Sunday against the Titans, where you blow a double-digit lead. I'm starting to think they might actually kind of be chokers, at least this season. Uh, and I think it circles back to what you said, uh, Tim, just the the ability to close on either side of the ball uh, and finish. You know, they take a 21-3 lead in the second half. And I believe I texted the group chat something like, you know, you was like, three and out, and then let's run the ball and, you know, close out this game. And then none of those things happened. The, the Ravens, uh, you know, immediately gave up a lengthy field goal drive. Four minutes uh, for a field goal that cut it to 21-13. Um, and then the following drive was the Lamar interception. And, and, and then, like you said, and then on the other side of the ball, so, like, Lamar, Lamar can't make that mistake. It, it, we, we talked about it in our chat a little, but just – 
it just seems the Ravens are making things so much more complicated for themselves this season. And I don't know if that's a product of, you know, the line just being bad, which I think is a big part of, you know, not being able to just grind these games out. And obviously Ronnie Stanley out for the year, Nick Boyle out for the year. Those are two really big problems. Uh, as And, you know, the retirement of Marshall Yonda put that guy in Canton right now. Uh, clearly he was uh, underrated in this town, I say. But... Um, yeah, so they were, they're not able to close these games out via the run. And then you said it on that A.J. Brown play, especially. That was just, that might be, that's like a top five most embarrassing play in Ravens history. Just in terms of like, the whole def- defense got sunned. And they really did, the, like you said, I thought that was a bad call by Vrabel to settle for the points there. I was like, wow, I would have gone for it. But it worked out perfectly because the Ravens offense did nothing and then because uh, they're not able to close these games anymore. And then they march right down the field and get that touchdown. I mean, the tackling on that was abysmal. The tackling the whole game was really bad. Um, I was thoroughly unimpressed with both Marcus Peters uh, and Marlon Humphrey. Um, you know, they keyed on Derrick Henry and I thought actually did a decent job for a while. But they just kept getting burned you know you have these two all pro corners and like i don't know if it's the play action but something threw them off and they seemed to just Corey davis did great and then the aj brown play my goodness that was embarrassing yeah real quickly on this antonio i just on the whole not being able to close stuff out um and again these stats come from luke jones please follow him on twitter uh wnst works for this is actually i apologize this article that he did actually came from baltimorepositive.com uh, but it's another one that is with WNST that you can look at as well. Um, they held Derrick Henry in the first three quarters to 70 rushing yards on 21 carries, or the Titans in general, I should say, not just Henry. Very, very good. And Corey Davis and A.J. Brown had some plays, but it's not like they were completely dominant throughout. And then the defense just freaking collapsed. And this is, again, t- taking directly from him, it continued a disturbing trend for a Ravens defense that's led the way this season while the offense has struggled to recapture its 2019 magic. And let's talk about the offensive line in a second because I am furious with the way they've put that team together. After allowing a total, a total of 23 points in the second half of their first five games, 23 points total in the second half of those first five games, The Ravens have now surrendered 20 or more second-half points in three of their last five contests, starting with that game against Philly that Carson Wentz, who might be the worst quarterback in the league, almost came back and won for the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know if it's an issue of being on the field too much. I don't know if it's an issue of, we can talk about this, the stripping, the, the the fruit punch and all that stuff, which turned out so well that turnover luck, quote-unquote, going the other way for the Ravens where they're actually not tackling anymore and just going for the ball, and that's turning on hurting them. I don't know what's happening, but there is a mental block with this team when it gets late into the game and the game is close that, Jace, you nailed it. They make it too complicated for themselves. They get in their own head. Everyone from Lamar Jackson to Patrick Queen to to Chuck Clark to Will Holden, who was playing freaking right tackle most of the game. They get this in their head that they can't do it or they have to make everything has to be execution has to be down to the decimal point how good it is. And it's flawed. And for whatever reason, that happens and teams know that and teams know they can expose them late in games. And um, 
that's what makes this team that we thought was great, this team that we thought a Super Bowl contender, is now a team who's not going to make the playoffs if everything ended today. And it, um, you know, as I will repeat over and over again, it sucks because last year was a blip. Last year was not the run. Everybody thought, oh, this new dominant Ravens team is going to be awesome. Not the case anymore. Nope. This is, this is, again, your average Baltimore team who likes to show up sometimes and then completely craps the bed other times. And I think we just have to accept that now, unfortunately. We've talked on in multiple episodes. We've talked off the air. We've talked via text message about how it just seems like this team rarely has the offense and the defense balling out at the same time. And then it's always one thing is going well and the other side immediately falls to pieces and then it reverses, but you don't get that 60 minutes of really good football on both sides, specifically against good teams. And I mean, you don't want to talk about one play deciding a game because you can pick a bunch of them, but this, the Lamar Jackson interception and is it almost seems like a microcosm of all these problems that we've been talking about of this team making things too complicated of them losing games that were there to be won or just don't make mistakes and you take care of the game the example here just to bring this up again is to start the game the Ravens defense looked pretty shaky Titans immediately have a long drive to score a touchdown and the antenna you know already up it's already a, a nerve nerves type game but the Ravens' offense on the other side of that, after going three and out on the first drive, their following drives were all point-scoring drives, excluding the end-of-half two plays that I'm not going to count because it's, you know, with under a minute, they weren't even trying to score. They essentially ran the clock out. After the three and out to start the game, the Ravens go, and I, Tim, I agree with you that they need to be getting touchdowns instead of field goals. It's just that seems to me, once they get in close... Things that everything gets pinched, everything gets pushed. The safeties are much close. They, you know, can cheat, so to speak, and and things get harder for an offense like this. But the Ravens go field goal, field goal, touchdown. Come out in the second half and score a touchdown on their first drive. So they're scoring, you know, quote unquote, at will. They've gone every possession scoring. The Titans close the lead to twenty-one thirteen, and the Ravens get the ball back on this streak of scoring drives and are once again methodically going down the field. Uh, we need to talk a little bit about Des Bryant as a, as a small positive on this team. They, they kept throwing, they had multiple short passes to him because he kept just sort of bowling over the corner who was in front of him, getting four yards, getting six yards. And that was the offense of last year when things were rolling. It was small plays. It was sticking with what was working. Gone are the days of those drives where they would run it seven times in a row, including on like a third and nine. And they just trusted what they had and would run it. And they'd either get a first down or get into a fourth and two and run it again. And then they would get the first down on the next play. Things are working. You're rolling down the field. And that's when Lamar decides to do this deep 40-yard pass to a receiver. I mean, there's like a receiver can be wide open. They can be kind of open. They can be covered, or the defender can be in better position to catch the ball than the receiver. And that was what the throw was there, where DuVernay is essentially playing defense from the second that the ball reaches its apex. And there's just no need to do that. And that's where a lot of Lamar's interceptions have come. He sees single coverage, regardless of if the play is open, 
and and throws a deep ball, and he's gotten burned on that multiple times. And it's frustrating as a small microcosm, again, as I say, because it just wasn't necessary. And from there, the game really started to turn in a negative way. Now Tennessee, I mean, I'm not going to talk about momentum. That's been debunked enough times. But Tennessee then scores on their next two drives. And and it (laughs) did turn the whole game around. They they scored on every drive that wasn't their very last kneel down uh, for the Titans. And that just speaks to what you said, like, I don't know if it's just Henry grinding them down, but like what changed on the defense? Is it the offense? Yeah, like, you know, Tim said, putting them on the field. It's, it's just very frustrating. They can't put 60 minutes together. I mean, Derek Wolf talked about it post game. He's, he said, and I've liked Derek Wolf. He's a good addition. Uh, and you know, he's a guy who's won a Super Bowl. He's a solid veteran is about the only thing they have in the name of, uh, run, <laughs> run stopper on that defensive line at the moment. But, uh, I think for just this team, I think your leadership as you know, I like Calais Campbell. I like Derek Wolf, but the leadership has to come from the core guys who are the young stars of this team: Lamar Jackson, Marlon Humphrey, you know, eventually Patrick Queen. Uh, and I don't know; it just seems like there's a collective panic on both sides. You know, Lamar is, I, I think, probably targeting uh, the defense, especially for the AJ Brown play. Noted that uh, it certainly seemed like the Titans wanted it more. Uh, and it's hard to argue with that assessment after the fourth quarter, and especially uh, that A.J. Brown play is the definition of wanting it more than the three or four Ravens who missed uh, the tackle on him. So it's just very frustrating not to, like, beat a dead horse or anything, but just what's most frustrating is the Ravens are up 21-10 at this game. It's like the injuries have been bad this season for sure. And I think those that has naturally – you can't lose an all-pro left tackle and, like, all these stud defensive linemen to injuries. Uh, and, you know, a really critical piece to your run game, Nick Boyle, um, and only your other your other tight end in Nick Boyle. You're only, your, your ceiling's going to get lowered. But they're still super talented because they're in these games. And then the, it's just their inability to finish. And I'm with you guys at the – I was a little optimistic that they at least drove down to kick the winning field goal, but it was the same thing. This, the attention to detail um, was, you know, Makari appears to kind of snap the ball early before like Des Bryant gets set. Uh, and that looked like we'll get to Hollywood Brown. I'm sure, but that actually looked like he was going to score <laughs> on that play that gets blown dead. Um, and that puts him behind the sticks and they kind of have to settle for the field goal. And, you know, I think just for, and that's what's frustrating with Lamar and like forcing it. I, I, he's right there. The team's right there. But until, you know, he comes through in those moments, I don't know. The criticisms are going to be there. And I think it's fair at this point, you know, and the, the Steelers game, a little less time, but the game was there to win and they didn't win. And, uh, then to just harp on the offensive line problems, they promptly give up their first sack of the game on second down and overtime. Uh, and at that point, you pretty much knew, I knew the Titans were going to win. And, uh, yeah. You know, Derrick Henry puts them out of their misery with just a just a demoralizing run. <laughs> but it was, it was a horrible game. And I, I don't know what needs to change. I don't, I don't know that anything really drastically needs to change other than the players just, the key players, Lamar Jackson, you know, Patrick Queen, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, just have to play better. I think that's all well, it you talk, comes down to. You're talking about key players. And first, on the defensive side of the ball, the guys who missed the tackle in the A.J. Brown play, 
Chuck Clark. Stop, Tim. I can't. Uh, just Marcus says... Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and Patrick Queen. Did the deep swing. All guys that you just referenced. Yeah, as Antonio just annihilates that cocktail. <laughs> I mean, it's just. It's a great point. Then Tim. you have, and then you have Antonio, and on the other side of the ball, Antonio, you nail it on this on this pick, this bad pick. And there was a couple times, even with like the option plays over uh, on Sunday, where Lamar has this mentality because he's facing all this scrutiny from the media because he I'm sure he knows these stats about when trailing seven when trailing at halftime yada 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 and again I think we can all recognize that some of this crap because it's a family show is clickbait and some of it is a lot of it is not just on him but he's putting all this extra pressure on himself to be the guy to do everything and it's forcing mistakes like that egregious egregious interception on a drive that could have, you know, you would think maybe ended the game. And it's like the team is, the team is at this point where you're, you're sitting there and you feel hopeless because there's nothing you can do to just scream at them. Like, just close it out. Just, just close it out. That's it. Just keep playing your game. You're fine. But then there's always a little mistake. There's the Macari thing. Like you said, there's the Mark Andrews false start. It's like this team gets jumpy because they're like, all right, we're almost here. We almost won. We, we almost came back and, and won a close game against a good team. We're almost there. We're almost, all the haters are almost gone. And it screws them up, and they make their own mistakes. And look, because we obviously focus on this team more, I don't, I'm don't. not going to sit here and say that Tennessee outplayed them thoroughly or anything like that. And maybe it's just purple-tinted glasses, but I always turn back to, they just shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over again. And it's infuriating to watch because, like you said, Jace, it's there. The team is good. Like, there's a reason you pay Marlon Humphrey $98 million. And it's not to get torched by A.J. Brown all game. You know, I can't even sit here and say it's the offense putting the defense back out on the field. The time of possession was 33 minutes to the Titans for 31 minutes to the Ravens. I mean, it's dead even. It's just infuriating to watch this team who... I just I don't want to see. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm lost. I, I, I I'm so tired of seeing the whole like the Ravens players on social media afterwards. Like, oh, this is basically we got them right where we want them. No, you don't. You were a Super Bowl contender this year. You were the team that just went 14 and two. You have the unanimous MV freaking P at quarterback, and all those expectations you got in your own head, and you think you're way better than you are, and that's going to turn us to a Hollywood Brown where they just haven't shown up when they needed to. And by the way, he's number three now for me. I thought he was maybe a good number two. Maybe he's just going to be a slot receiver the rest of his career. I am so tired of watching that little guy run down the field and drop bad, bad, bad balls. The second and ten, where we were talking about a little bit, it's an 11-yard throw. Lamar makes a great play. He's rolling out to his right. He fires the ball right into Hollywood's hands, and he drops it again. There's a guy that's in his own head. Tweeting, tweeting about soldiers not getting the ball enough or whatever it is, and then having a talking to from Harbaugh and the PR staff. And ever since then, he's been garbage. Have you noticed that? Ever since that tweet went out and there was all this controversy around Hollywood Brown, he's been garbage. I cannot believe that we're sitting here again, and there's plenty of other stuff this team needs. I mean, the offensive line, we don't have to talk about it too, too much. I mean, we've kind of glanced around it. They're garbage. But... The fact that this team, again, this team was, what, founded in 1996, and they still need a wide receiver. Still. 
I was four years old when this team came into existence, and they still haven't had that D-hop or somebody like that. Who they could have had if they just traded these first-round picks away. I, I, I know I'm rambling, and I know i got to get to my other guys here, but I'm just... It's just infuriating watching this team now. And, like, my favorite holiday, we'll get to it later, is about to be ruined by this team, <laughs> you know, making it close in the fourth quarter, and then not... The Steelers not... This is how it's going to happen. The Steelers aren't going to beat them. They're going to throw some bad pick, or it's going to be a fumble, or Matt Judon's going to hit Roethlisberger five seconds too late, and it's going to continue a drive. You know what it's going to be. Like, this is, this is an old, stinky, terrible shoe that you have under your bed that for some reason you decide to put on again, and you feel the comfort level there, but it's also irritating because you're like, why do I still have this thing? That's watching these Ravens again. Like, that's, that's where they are now, and it sucks. It's just awful. Yeah, that, that just quick preview. That game is going to be annoyingly close, in my um, personal opinion. But I wanted to jump in, Tim, because I want to talk about Hollywood a little bit. I want to keep and you know, this is we talk football here ninety five percent of the time, but sometimes you got to get personal. And I just wanted to share this extremely important anecdote with the listener because um, I've shared over the past few weeks to months to years on this show, just the two years about the desire for the Hollywood jersey. Um, And there have been whispers in my circle about a potential Christmas gift involving uh, Raven's threads. And when when those whispers came out, I did not share uh, Hollywood Brown as as a potential dude uh, whose jersey would be perched. And I, I... I that happened, and after the fact, I realized it, and I really had to turn inward and look and realize that I, as Tim said, it's just so sad that they can't grab a stud wide receiver, seemingly ever, <laughs> including or specifically in the first round. But Tim, I offered some other names, and I think that's when you, when you know is when you say these kind of things in passing, and you don't say, you know, that purple. With the gold lettering that says Hollywood on the back, you don't say it. You say, "Oh, maybe a Marlon Humphrey would be chill," or "I'll just go with a black Lamar Jackson." You know, I, it's just it's tough. Um, but I just wanted to share that as we approach the holidays here. That when I didn't say Hollywood, it was a big turning point for me in my appreciation of this wide receiver. Who, first of all, you can't have drops, and then the next phase was supposed to be be a dominant wide receiver. But you can't get yards after catch. You can't get yak if you don't bring the ball in to start, and uh, and that that the, that that's my two cents on on Hollywood. Jace, I want to ask you, unless Tim has another, if Tim's going to soothe my soul or not here. But uh, Jace, I do want to talk about and Tim because I think it's fair to Lamar to bring this up, and that's the last drive that the Ravens had in regulation. Because in theory, there are positives to take away from that drive on a team where we have complained and had issues with the game winning drive the you know the they're behind and they need a score because it was a great drive they did not have a ton of time uh they did not have the ball in great field position started at the 25 but they you know I think Lamar did a great job getting the ball downfield a few passes a few runs and in theory I say in theory cuz it got to a third and six but could have had a touchdown there instead of a field goal so Jace I want your thoughts first of all on that drive on whether or not I've uh, broken up with Hollywood Brown too early and uh, anything else. Yeah, well, so I think they they tie together nicely because 
I did think for the most, that was an impressive drive. I thought like, you know, it, it's, it's the kind of moment I think we wanted to see. And I think obviously they connect for seven to someone there. And we have a very different tune about this team today, but I think it's the inability to finish it, to get the seven and the mental mistakes that led into it. I think it just, it kind of diminished it. And, you know, I was a little optimistic at the time because they still forced overtime. So I don't think you can c- dismiss it completely. But And uh, I do want to say I was a big fan of Des Bryant's play on that drive. I thought he made it, you know, he makes a nice catch and then he kind of snakes his way for more yards. Uh, but then I wanted actually just to bring this back to Hollywood for a second. Them pulling Des Bryant off the street when he hasn't played, had caught a, <laughs> had a NFL catch in like nearly three years. And, you know, he didn't have the craziest game in the world, but uh, he was still, he was the leading receiver for the Ravens, wide receiver, four receptions, 28 yards. Mark Andrews, had I thought, had a great game, led the way with five receptions, 96 yards on a touchdown. But Dez, like, just seeing Dez and the size and the, the ability has made me so much sadder that there isn't a guy... Like, uh, say, DeAndre Hopkins, a younger Des, perhaps, <laughs> that you can just throw to every time. I was just like, this is what we need. We just need younger version of this. <laughs> um, and I like Hollywood. I want him to succeed, obviously. I do still think, I don't know what's been going on with him lately, because he caught zero passes yesterday. That's insane. It, it doesn't make any sense. How's that possible? The Titans have one of the worst secondaries in the NFL, and yet your ostensibly number one receiver didn't have a catch. It was very confusing, but so I don't know what they're doing with him, but Dez's success made me like even more sad about this, the current state of Hollywood and uh, just not having a, a younger Dez, namely Deandre Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we keep, first of all, for those of you who might not remember, or maybe didn't know, we keep bringing up Deandre Hopkins because it was reported that the Ravens called about them and, or called about D-Hop, and seeing as what Arizona gave up, a.k.a. nothing for DeAndre Hopkins, you're a little annoyed that the Ravens couldn't make that deal go through. Now, again, being an AFC opponent, maybe they were asking a little more, and it was too rich for Eric DaCosta's blood. But just quickly on that, because I know there are a couple positives that we probably should talk about this game outside of the Ravens probably not going to make the playoffs now, um, (laughs) is my bold prediction. (laughs) But Tim, that end of season schedule. Yeah, they're uh, going ten and six if they make the playoffs or not. That'll (laughs) right, real mystery. Um, I and maybe I'm just falling as we've come to find out this season more on the pessimistic side of Pod Like a Raven. But I don't take any positives out of that final drive because it was a microcosm of the rest of the game. You're good from twenty to twenty. Des Bryant makes a great play to get him in the red zone. And then this is the moment. This is the thing you have to do. This is the time to prove everyone wrong. Time to show, hey, the Ravens can win these close games when they're down. Lamar can have that drive. The offense can be somewhat coherent and not have stupid penalties or drops or you know, bad fumbles, interceptions from Lamar, what have you. They get into the red zone. You watch that again. Lamar almost throws a pick on a slant route to Willie Sneed. I mean, it's it's very close for the defender. They have the penalties, and, like the Makari snap like you're talking about. And for me, and yes, maybe it's overcritical, 
But that's why I can't take any positives out of it because it's just a microcosm of the rest of the game where it's fine, 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 fine. And then you get to that moment where you need to prove it. And yet again, it's a disaster. And, you know, I, I pretty much, it was one of those things. It's like, as soon as they get that sack, Jace, you nailed it. It, it would, you know, kick field goal, go to overtime. Ravens get the ball back. You're like, all right, we got the ball. Let's just go down and score. Like, like we can do this. And then it's the, the sack and just the incredibly disjointed drive in overtime. And you're like, well, nope, they, they can't do it on the big stage. And that's why, for me, uh, the expectations for this team have completely gone out the window. I have none. Um, because if you can't do it in the big moment, why have expectations for a team that just hasn't proven it yet? There's no point. At the moment, the Ravens sitting at 6-4, and four, not in the playoffs, even with a seventh uh, team being allowed in. And I'm going to use that as my seamless transition because one of the teams who currently would be in the playoffs are the Cleveland Browns. And we're going to turn now to the <laughs> AFC North unless you guys have some, some additional Ravens points here. Sorry, I have one quick thing that we need to talk about. We make fun of his agent all the time on this show, but J.K. Dobbins is the number one running back for this team. Good point. Uh, that's, that's it. 15 carries, 70 yards, a touchdown, and just looked incredible. Um, Mark Ingram only had two carries for two yards in this game. Gus Edwards, three for six. You look at the percentage breakdowns here. This is from uh, Aaron Kassinitz, who covers the Ravens. Just a quick look. J.K. Dobbins played 63% of the snaps. Justice Hill played 11% of the snaps, which I thought was weird. Gus Edwards, 20%. Mark Ingram, 9%. Um, The handing over of the reins for the running back in the running game, I think, has already happened. Something that maybe even earlier than we suspected. And for me, I think a lot of it is down to the offensive line. The offensive line is bad, and so you need a running back who can make guys miss, find the hole quick. And there was a play. There was, it was two plays back-to-back. It was early in the game, one, and they were both outside runs. The first one was Mark Ingram. He couldn't find the edge because he doesn't have the speed anymore, and he was brought down in the backfielder for like a minimal game. The second one was sort of like a jet sweep play. Might have been going the different direction. Might have been going to the right rather than the left. But it was another one. You have to find the corner, beat the corner, and get up the field. You know, win the edge and get up the field. And Dobbins did it in a flash. And instantly from there, I was like, yep, this might be over. We all love Mark Ingram, NFL personality of the year, whatever that means. J.K. Dobbins is the number one running back for this team. So I just thought, you know, we'll talk about him a little (laughs) later because he's not going to play against Pittsburgh. Yeah, not the number one running back this week. (laughs) That's true. But... You know, for being a negative Nancy the whole time, I should shout him out. He's fun to watch. He's he he hits the hole right. He's got those choppy feet. He's patient too, which is always cool to watch. A guy behind the line waiting for his lot waiting for his blocks, and you're like, oh no, he's gonna get two yard loss, and it's a six yard gain out of nowhere. So shout out to J.K. Dobbins before we move on. That's all. Yeah, that was a positive. I think the what really somehow made this hurt for me, uh, what Antonio you mentioned hurt even more is basically every result somehow twisted the knife for the Ravens. The Browns won, the Colts won, and over time we see Patrick Mahomes just march down the field and <laughs> lead a, a comeback victory on uh, Sunday Night Football, which kind of helped the Ravens, actually, because uh, they will be competing with the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, but uh, I hate the Browns, man. They're bad, and they're 7-3, and three, and they're going to make the playoffs. And they get, like just an all-time bad pick six from Carson Wentz in this one. That was that was an abomination to open the scoring. 
and then still, you know, we've talked about the Browns. They just don't do much every game and then win by, like, five. <laughs> and they're <laughs> seven and three. Browns 22-17 winners at home over the Eagles in a rainy, cold, gross game, which sort of seems like the perfect Cleveland football game to play in. But they're, they're, they're strange because I think their defense has actually been pretty good in, in several weeks where the offense really has not done a ton. And they've been and, without Miles Garrett a little bit here too. And they're winning games with very, very little from Baker Mayfield. I mean, he game manager is an annoying term that's thrown around a lot, but that's basically what he's doing. He was 12 of 22 <laughs> for 200 passing yards in their game, but who do they have? Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and uh, Nick Chubb is back and looking healthy as ever. He had 20 carries for 114 yards. I'm getting more and more terrified by that second matchup the Ravens have with them as to whether they will ever tackle Nick Chubb or whether he'll get 200 <laughs> yards in that game. But Cleveland 7-3 and three with the softest schedule to end the season. They, they do play the Steelers Week 17, but still have games against the Jaguars, the Giants, and the Jets. And really, there's no way they don't have 10 wins by the end of the year, but squeaking out ugly games week after week. Well, so they don't have Bill Belichick on the sidelines, so they're not able to just call upon the rain gods every day (laughs) if they really need it. They've been getting lucky with the fact that this weather has been so bad uh, that it's forcing the mantra that Kevin Stefanski needs to stick to even if it pisses off his prima donna quarterback. The less Baker, the better, because that guy stinks. And the less you give it to him and the more you give it to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who are both incredible running backs, might be the best running back tandem in the National Football League, you have a better chance to win. Baker should throw the ball six times a game. And zero interceptions, zero touchdowns, maybe even just run Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, little wildcat, no Baker Mayfield, that would give the Browns a better chance. No, I'm not salty that they're above the Ravens right now, and they're definitely going to make the playoffs, and the Ravens aren't. But credit <laughs> this to is them. Just, this, this is just a hard, a hard statement now from Tim. This pains me. It pains me, and I hate everything about it. I still don't really believe in them because it's still the Browns, and I know it's an easy schedule, but they're going to screw some of these up because they're Cleveland, and I'm going to just live on that hill until it just crumbles under me, which it's slowly doing from the base. But the less Baker, the better. It, that, that's legitimately their best case to win games. Stop giving it to that guy because he's not good enough at quarterback and let your pretty decent offensive line and your two stud running backs control the game. And, and yeah, Antonio, you're right. I'm actually nervous about facing them again. Although I will say, week 17 against the Steelers, if the Steelers still have something to play for, if the Chiefs are hanging around for that top seed, if it comes down to us and the Browns for a playoff spot, Browns going against the Steelers – us going against uh, the next team I think we're going to talk about. I'm feeling pretty confident there, but let's see if it even gets to that. I love the uh, the Baker should be throwing the ball six times a game for a winning team, also known as the early Joe Flacco in the playoffs move. Uh, go just a casual six for ten <laughs> and then still beat an opponent by double digits. But, Tim, that's a great point about Week 17 because that may end up as weird as it seemed to start the season, that may end up being the deciding factor. Maybe if the Ravens go to the playoffs, maybe if it's between the Ravens and the Browns, one of those teams taking the last wild card spot. 
because the Ravens will be playing the Bengals in Week 17, and they are no longer the frisky, dangerous, fun, Joe Burrow-led Bengals, because as we talk about them now in their game against Washington, I mean, it's a, you know, we play, they're in the same division, so you like a team not being as good as they would be otherwise, but it's sad to see Joe Burrow with a just a major knee, I'll call it a leg injury, knee doesn't even seem fair, he's torn ACL, MCL, maybe even more, just a, just a compound injury in his knee where he will obviously not be back this season. And it's one of those where I feel like the NFL world wants to say, like, the bank, not Joe Burrow, but the Bengals deserved it in a way because it's just this thing where he was getting hit over and over and over again, and it was a situation that was not tenable for a young quarterback. And the Bengals will now suffer with having him out for the rest of the season. And with this injury happening so late, you know, this isn't a September or October injury. I also wonder how he looks to start next season. There's, there's a lot here for, for Joe Burrow, but Cincinnati obviously crushed by that loss. Uh, I, I just absolutely stunning stat for them is he's now the third different number one overall pick the Bengals have selected who has torn his ACL. That seems impossible, but, uh, yeah, it's the Bengals. They just, it's a, you know, not to blame them, but it's a, it's a bad luck franchise. I don't know. It's FedEx field, obviously is where Burrow, this injury occurred, which has a history of just devastating leg injuries on their shoddy turf. So hopefully, you know, that didn't play too much of a factor into it, but it sucks. It's, you know, it'll make the Ravens week 17 get way easier, but, uh, because I believe they soundly beat Ryan Finley last year if he's still their backup. But, yeah, I mean, it's never good for the league when the number one pick QB, you know, suffers an injury this early in his career. Uh, and you just hope he's, you know, good to go next season. It's a, obviously is a quick kind of turnaround, but it seems like he can overcome it. He's a, you know, you work your way from kind of a low middle star recruit to being the number one overall pick. Uh, you have to figure he has pretty good work ethic and stuff. So I believe he'll be back, but it is a shame for them and their fans who, you know, he was the one thing they were kind of clinging to after what's been several <laughs> very bad seasons for them. Well, he's the one thing because the one, one of the things they don't have is an offensive line. Right. <laughs> you can't mortgage your future by letting the guy who's going to lead your franchise for hopefully the next 10, 12, hell, maybe even 15 years to be demolished week in and week out. This is going to happen. And it's you, you guys are right. Like it, it stinks. Obviously, we're not Bengals fans here on Pod Like Raven <laughs> at all. I'll never forgive them for freezing all my fingers and toes off and then being eliminated from the playoffs thanks to Andy Dalton. But Burrow, everybody kind of likes because he's got that moxie. Until he starts beating the Ravens on a regular basis, I'm going (laughs) to like the guy. But this is what you do. You You risk the future of your franchise. The guy who, you know, if it doesn't work out, is going to set you back another five to ten years behind an offensive line of high school kids. It's it's really, really bad, and they shouldn't have... I don't know what you do. You can't not play him as the number one overall pick, especially as good as he's played, but it's really unfortunate to watch him just get beat up, beat up, beat up, and you're just kind of like, you know, sadistically like waiting for the moment where something happens, and 
you know, one of the worst injuries that could happen to a guy does. And it, it's, it's really unfortunate. The other thing, just quickly, when is the NFL just going to investigate the, the football team in FedEx field? It's, because it's the, the record of knee injuries on that turf is egregious, starting with their own franchise and Robert Griffin III, now the Ravens' backup quarterback, who had his knee shredded because they were painting the brown spots in the, in the grass. Like, it's – at some point, the NFL has to step in and either find them every game that they play on it or force them to change it or something because it, it's – look, when we go to, to Landover, Maryland, and play the, the Redskins – or, excuse me, the football team, whatever that is – I'm going to be nervous about Lamar Jackson's knee. Like, every single time. That's It's scary. It's something that we probably have yeah, to deal with. I have several football team uh, fans in my life, and they went through the rundown. It's astounding. RG3 got hurt. Adrian Peterson tore his ACL on that uh, field, uh, I believe, um, or got hurt there uh, one season. The mm-hmm. um, Kyle Allen, I believe, most recently. Alex Smith, right. obviously. Uh right. Obviously forgetting, by the way, that the Ravens did play at FedEx Field this year, and we were basically okay. So we got away with one. Maybe in four years, we won't be so lucky. Yeah, it's uh, – yeah, it's – they got to do something. It's very Dan Snyder. The fact that they can still – we'll get to them in a, maybe never, but Washington could, like, be leading the division in the worst year for a division in NFL history. It would be very Dan Snyder for Washington to just win the division this year in a season they don't have a name – when they go like four and 12. <laughs> yeah. Also a shocker that the Washington football team has some other organizational issue to deal with. I mean, <laughs> it's not, it's not the players on the field. It's the field itself that they have to deal with uh, and their list of things to correct. But the last AFC North team to talk about quickly are the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm just going to, you know, they took care of business against a Jake Luton, Luton, I don't even really know the pronunciation, led uh, Jacksonville team. Pittsburgh is 10-0 as they face Baltimore on Thursday. I mean, obviously the Ravens have had their own problems and losses, and Cleveland has three losses, but Pittsburgh's going to win the AFC North, and they've sort of taken that uh, by the horns with their 10-0 start, and I don't I don't see that going anywhere. I don't think this team's going to go 16-0. and but if they do, I can't wait to bet against them in the postseason because I don't think they're that good. This is not a 10-0, 14-2, 16-0 team, and it's frustrating, but they just really do keep taking care of business in, in games, whether they're blowing out an easy opponent or having close wins against the tough team. So, we're, listen, we're just going to move past Pittsburgh unless you guys have uh, really important... Oh, my gosh. All right. Okay. I have right. a very... I have a very little tiny thing. It would have been cool to pick Chase Claypool, huh? Or I should should I say A? Seeing as he's Mapletron from Canada. Thank you, that one got Chase. Four catches, 59 yards, and another touchdown. Eight touchdowns this season from scrimmage. Um, yeah, that guy's really good. And it's just like, it's the one part of the Steelers front office. And great, they're, they're a great franchise, yada, yada, yada. We respect them. I actually don't hate them as much as I hate a team like the Browns or the Titans, even though the rivalry is still there, because... They're a, they're a respectable franchise, and they do stuff the right way a lot of the time. But the Ravens are as well. Obviously, the Ravens, we're super down on them right now, but they've been consistently good over the years, yada, yada, yada. Whoever is the wide receiver scout or the guy who's just like, oh, yeah. As someone I was watching the game with said, they just look at guys and they're like, oh, yeah, that guy knows how to play. Can we get that guy and just pay him 
whatever he wants to come join Baltimore. Because the way they pick receivers is just – It's the complete opposite of what we do, and clearly they're doing something right. I mean, Claypool is just incredible. Deontay Johnson, 12 catches for 111 yards as well yesterday. So, um, yeah, that's infuriating. Chase Claypool, not a first-round pick. Second a second-round round pick. A late second-round pick. Deontay so- Johnson – not even a second round pick. He's a late third round pick. So it just, or I should say an early third round pick because my math was a little slow there. 66 overall. So I guess that would be an early third round pick, but it's, it's frustrating, Tim. It's, it's annoying. And you would think in theory, looking at the six foot four, 240 pound jacked athletic, good hands, wide receiver from Notre Dame, you wouldn't think that'd be the most complicated scouting report to come up with, but uh, he did fall to the second round, and Pittsburgh has been all cool. over those guys for seemingly since, like, the Plexico Burris era of, <laughs> of Pittsburgh football. Do, do you want some bad news, Antonio? <laughs> I, I'd love some. Uh, Miles Boykin is also a six foot four receiver from Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> the Ravens drafted in the third round. <laughs> Jace, are you saying that maybe scouting is a little more complicated than I'm making it out to be? Yeah, I, it's just, they're like the same guy, went to the same school, and somehow the Ravens drafted the guy who, like, they don't play now. Des Bryant took his job off the street. The guy who's a really good special teams gunner. Yeah. I, uh, it's yeah. very upsetting. All right, let's move elsewhere now in the NFL to what was one of the more followed games of the week, if not for the matchup between the two teams, but the starting quarterback, and I'm talking, of course, about the New Orleans Saints. Big win against the not-good Atlanta Falcons, but Taysom Hill seemingly getting a lot of flack uh, leading into the week due to his selection of being the starter over Jameis Winston. Um, played pretty well. 18 of thirty of 23 for 233 yards, rushed for two touchdowns on 10 carries and 50 yards. And he's going to stay the starter at least another week after a game like that. But your guys' thoughts on uh, the Saints here with uh, – I know Tim loves Taysom Hill, so (laughs) thoughts on uh, the Saints overall here without Breeze for the next few weeks. Oh, I was so mad (laughs) watching just the Taysom Hill happen. He had more yards – passing than Lamar Jackson and had the exact same amount of rushing yards. Taysom Hill. This guy stinks. Did you see that arm punt he threw to Emmanuel Sanders where he had to run back like 15 yards to get to the ball? It was so bad. And yet the Falcons are a bunch of bums and they're going to win a bunch of games because they play nobody. They play the Falcons again, I'm pretty sure, in two weeks. <laughs> uh, unless I'm thinking of someone else's schedule. I I, I think I, I was very confused why Taysom Hill, you know, they brought, they bring Jameis Winston out uh, to replace Drew Brees when he gets injured last week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it worked out for them. He did exactly what they want Taysom Hill to do, which is not – he didn't throw any uh, – I don't believe he threw any interceptions. It just kind of minded the store, and they sacked the hell out of Matt Ryan, and that was kind of that. <laughs> he just kind of didn't do much of anything, got the win, and – I think they're going to do that a few more times before uh, probably the rest of the season. Uh, Drew Brees broke like eight ribs or something I ever saw. So he, he broke 11. 11. And he has, a, he has 11 in a so punctured lung. That's a lot of these, ribs. 
That's a lot. So you have at Broncos, at Falcons, at Eagles, which is a cakewalk. Like Versus Chiefs, when they expect Breeze to possibly be back. Versus Vikings, who are you know not that great. And then at Panthers to end the season. Yeah, Taysom Hill is annoying. I, I don't like him. I love every hot take merchant saying that, oh, I might rather have Taysom Hill over Lamar Jackson. Remember, Taysom Hill is 30 years old because he's a Mormon and they don't understand how time works sometimes over there at BYU. I... I, I don't know. Like, the, the NFC is so weird because, it, like, going 11-5, and five, the Ravens might not make the playoffs. Say they lose to Pittsburgh, they're 6-5, and five, they run the table 11-5. and five. There's a chance they don't make the playoffs. The NFC, who is the best team in the NFC? You got the Packers who just lost to the Colts. They're 7-3. and three. The Seahawks are 7-3 and three and don't have one defender on that team. <laughs> Seem like they have to come back. You know, Russell Wilson basically has to do everything. For that team, you have the Saints at eight and two, the Buccaneers at seven and three. Who, time of recording, we haven't seen them play on Monday night, but like, they're all over the place. I can't figure it out. And you're right, Jace. The Saints, who have a great defense, all they need to do is let Taysom Hill not screw stuff up for them on the offensive side of the football, and they're going to win a lot of games. But I don't know. The, the NFC to me is completely weird, and and I don't think there is a dominant team out there. So. Why not have the Taysom Hill-led Saints as the number one seed going into the playoffs? If you would have asked me how many ribs does like a human male have, I don't think I would have said 11. I think I would have said less than that, but I guess there's that many if you can break that many. That number surprised me when I read that. I was like, I don't know, six? <laughs> All right. Um, I, boy, I don't want to talk about this game because it may or may not have affected... Let's just say the NFL population's gambling weekend, but the Green Bay Packers, in what a, a game that all three of us were all over and loved, lose uh, at Indianapolis Colts. They lose by three in overtime in a game where the Packers were uh, one and a half to two and a half point underdogs, depending on where or when you looked. Had a commanding lead in this game for long stretches. Somehow, they made a couple of mistakes, a couple of strange decisions in the fourth quarter, end up blowing uh, what I think at, it was a 14-point lead at a certain point, and then lose in overtime to a team that the Ravens won. Uh, the Colts are not good, so this was a frustrating game to that I watched, frankly, too many minutes of because I was invested in it, but... I don't know what to make of either of these teams after this week because I still don't think the Colts are great. And I don't think the Packers are as bad as losing to the Colts. So somebody make sense of this game for me. Uh, it had a fun Aaron Rodgers drive at the end. <laughs> but yeah, I I think Tim kind of nailed it in the NFC. I think the NFC is just not that great. Uh, you know, we've seen the Packers get hammered by the Saints or uh, by the Buccaneers, excuse me, who in turn got absolutely smacked down by the Saints. And the Saints have won a lot of games in a row and are 8-2. But they certainly don't seem as good as they've even seemed in past seasons. I was very frustrated by this game, Antonio. Uh, would have certainly helped the Ravens if the Packers just didn't blow a 14-point lead. Um, and yeah, it looks like one of, or both at this point, the Colts and Titans are both 7-3. and three. Certainly seems like they'll be getting two playoff teams uh, out of the AFC South. I know they have, I believe, even this week they have to play each other again. But... Just nothing went the Ravens' way this weekend. <laughs> it was very upsetting. 
and I want to look briefly. We don't have to talk about it a lot, but it is at least kind of fun to look at, and that's the NFC East. Four teams with, uh, I guess I'm looking at this right, four teams with three wins. It's anybody's ball game. My brother-in-law, who's, a, I've said this before, is a big-time Cowboys fan, had sort of sworn off the NFL for a few weeks, and then I hope he's listening, or will be listening, because he said to me at a certain point on Sunday, after their bizarre win over the Vikings, that it seemed like the Cowboys had just a straight line to win their division, and he was back in on the Cowboys being a playoff team when they're 3-7 and seven and Andy Dalton is the quarterback, and I hate the NFC East, I love the NFC East, because it's just that, it's like that trash reality television show that you watch for an hour once a week, you just tune in to see what else is going on As that's a mess in the NFC East. I don't know which team is going to end up coming out of there. The Giants, I think, have been better than their record, they've lost all these close games, but I, I don't know, they may trip over their own feet. Uh, trying to win games there. So it's just a, a fun mess in the East. I just love you. You put the giants there. I love how much credit Joe judge is going to get for making this team like a gritty football <laughs> team. If they win the NFC East at what? Six and 10. He puts like, on the resume a, a division champ, but the record is actually right. six and 10. It's going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> as someone who has said, like, you know, if I had to follow a second team, it would be the Cowboys. Good to see Andy Dalton back out there slinging it. As somebody who has Amari Cooper on a fantasy team, so just needs anybody competent at quarterback to throw the ball to him. That's also fun. Um, and for the Ravens, I mean, if you're going to put it this way, luckily we still have two of these teams to face. We have the Cowboys uh, next Thursday, not Thanksgiving, and then the Giants, excuse me, in week 16. So, it's a dumpster fire um, in the best way possible. And the funniest part, first of all, and I'm not stealing. This is not an original idea by any means for me. But Carson Wentz is, like, bad at football. Like it's, it's time to move on from that guy for the Eagles. But on the other side, if you remember, I believe it was week one, way back, uh, right at the start. I have to quickly do some internet searching to find this. No, I'm sorry. It was week three. Apologies where the Eagles inexplicably played for a tie against the Cincinnati Bengals. And it was everybody saying, oh, Doug Peterson's a wuss, non-football guy move. What are you doing? You have to go for the win there, yada, yada, yada. And everybody basically agreed. That tie could win them the NFC East because currently they are 3-6-1. and one. Everybody else is 3-7. and seven. You know what that means? They don't have as many losses. They're sitting top of the division. So I don't expect that to continue. I think the Eagles are a mess. But if that is what wins them the NFC East and gets them a home playoff game, I just think that would be pure comedy gold for everyone who follows the NFL. We're, we're, we're uh, tracking for our worst division winner ever uh, in a non-strike season uh, at this point. It, it really seems hard. The Eagles basically have to win out to ha- have any hope of any team, you know, uh, having a winning record. <laughs> um, uh the, the Seahawks, the 7-9 and nine Seahawks that uh, actually upset the Saints in the Beastquake game were the gold standard for a long time for terrible uh, division winners. But it seems like uh, these teams are going to blow them out of the water. Every one of them has a hearty negative point differential. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, Washington's uh, somehow the team that has – they're actually 500 at home, but they're the only team that has a 
500 record in any uh, phase of its, now that it's lost all four of its road games, so that only goes so far. It's very fun. I'm a big fan of the NFC East, and uh, it's uh, taking center stage this Thanksgiving with uh, Washington traveling to Dallas, uh, so eat up everyone it's uh it's a, <laughs> you're gonna get your fill this week i'm scanning each team's remaining schedules to sort of see who has the clearest path philadelphia currently in first place with that lovely tie their next three against the seahawks packers and saints if that's like not zero and three i don't know what is uh so they may very quickly be at the back of the line I just look at Dallas. They seem to play the most games. They still have the most games against division opponents, which I guess when the division is terrible, that's what you want to be playing. So it's just, it's high. It's a lot of fun. Uh, And I recommend watching maybe a quarter of games, uh, a quarter of one game out of the NFC East on a weekly basis. Another game I want to talk about very briefly because I don't understand the NFL and I never will. I've been wrong on the New England Patriots, I think, on a weekly basis about when I thought they'd do well and when I thought they'd do poorly. They lose to the, at the time, 2-7 and seven Houston Texans. I picked them to win. They were two-and-a-half-point favorites traveling to Houston this week, and I was all over that pick. That was my one loss uh, this week with gambling. But the Patriots, who had gotten a ton of positive publicity after beating the Ravens and suddenly a lot of people thought maybe they were back in the hunt at least for a wild card at four and five drop a game they needed to win or now four and six back out officially out of playoff contention and I've just been wrong on them every week and I have them involved in my picks this week and I'm sure I'll be wrong again (laughs) any other games guys in the NFL that you want to touch on before we move on here I just want to say quickly Here's the best thing, the most happiest thing you can take from this conversation. The New England Patriots will not be in the playoffs next year. And if you can't tell, I or this year, excuse me, and if you can't tell, I am smiling <laughs> ear to ear because of it. And no, it's not because they embarrassed us on Sunday Night Football. It's because they are the worst franchise in sports, and I hope nothing <laughs> but mediocrity for them for the next, you know, let's just keep it safe, 100, 150 years um, of, of NFL football. The other weird one, and you did put in the rundown, so I do want to briefly mention this because I think it's it's something that we do need to bring up. Uh, Tua got benched. It was very strange. And, <laughs> and Ryan Flores came out after the game and said, they asked, like, was it an injury thing because he was hobbling around? He goes, nah, he sucked. And we took him out, and yeah. the uh, they ended up losing to the Denver Broncos in another game that, you know, from a gambler's perspective, you looked at you're like, oh, that's a lock, that that's a Miami win. And then... Everybody in the media hyping up Miami all all week long, and then they lose to Drew Locke. So he, uh, that was weird. Flores used the phrase, uh, he gave us the best chance to win, and he was referring, of course, to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who uh, threw an interception in the end zone down seven on, I believe, first down. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that didn't work out. <laughs> but, yeah, that was a strange one. I, I didn't know what to... I, to me, it's just the week-to-week variance of the NFL. These games are so strange. It's a deeply weird league. You, the Ravens, or uh, the Patriots, I'm glad you brought that up, Antonio, because that was another one that just somehow made me more sad. I'm like, I'm like, why <laughs> did last Sunday happen? Uh, it's just a weird league. Any team can seemingly beat every t- any team, unless you're basically the Chiefs, uh, every week. So, 
I don't know. Weird sport. I love it. It's very strange. And I guess Tua's still the starter going forward. They haven't recommitted to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but very strange move and a very strange loss to a pretty bad Denver team. Miami now 6-4. and four. We'll play the Jets, the Bengals, and the Chiefs in their next three games as they remain a team that the Ravens will be competing with for one of those wild card spots. All right, we're going to turn now to our random Raven before we preview the Ravens-Steelers game. And Tim is up this week. Tim, who do you have for us? All right, I will just give you the clues. Um, I don't know why this guy popped in my head, but he did, and I had to take a note of it to be like, this is an incredibly random Raven. Uh, So... The clues are a little general, and honestly, if you can't get them after the five, I don't have any bonus clues because there's just frankly not that much information on this player. But anyway, clue number one. This Baltimore native came into the league in 2011. Baltimore native. Clue number two. In his rookie season, he played in 12 games, but he only had four catches. Those are the only offensive stats that he had. Oh, Antonio's already got it. Clue number three. Baltimore was the only NFL team this guy played for. He did sign with the Patriots in November of 2013, but he was cut 10 days later. Clue number four. My favorite clue. He wore the same number currently worn by a receiver who complained about not getting the ball enough, but now can't even catch a cold. Yikes. And clue number five. This player was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Ravens. That same year, the team also drafted another player in the same position that went to the same college as this random Raven. What was this guy's name? (laughs) It'll maybe come to me. I'm picturing it. Uh, We'll circle back. (laughs) At the end... At the end, I'll say this, and I don't think you guys need it, but maybe just for the listener, at the end, I will give the college, and maybe that might help out some people who are listening. There's a chance I... So I had a guy, I was 80% sure, and then you said the next clue, and I was completely out on that guy. I have come up with another name. There is a chance I get one of the syllables wrong, but we will find that out at the end of the episode, so stay tuned if you want to hear me mispronounce somebody's name. (laughs) <laughs> but that is a fantastic random Raven, Tim, that I, if if it is who I think it is, I am uh, downright shocked that we haven't brought him up before. All right. Let's turn now to what, oh man, what in theory should have been a much more fun, energetic preview that is really just going to be sad. And it's Ravens-Steelers. Thanksgiving night. It is slated as the prime time Thanksgiving game. Steelers currently three-point favorites to the Baltimore Ravens. I'm surprised that the line is still out there, that the line is still up, and I'm surprised about that because of the Ravens' recent COVID information, which we have teased a few different times in this episode. Tim, before we get into the X's and O's of this game, can you give us the unfortunate COVID update coming out of Baltimore today, really? Yes, this broke on Monday. Um, It ended up that J.K. Dobbins, who the new number one running back for the Baltimore Ravens, and Mark Ingram, the number, I would say, two and a half now, but also an important player for this team. Uh, Yeah, they both got got the COVID, so they'll be out, and they might even be out the next game because it's a 10-day window, 
if everything goes according to plan, they'll, ha- they'll be able to return next Wednesday to the team. But remember, the Ravens play two Thursday night games in a row. So who knows if they'll be ready for that one, which should be super cool. Uh, also, Brandon Williams, who might have been able to return the nose tackle, who's been so key on that defensive front, he was in close contact with them. So he will miss the game as well because they just love putting Raven Steelers in prime time, and they had to do it on my favorite holiday, which will inevitably make me throw up all of the turkey and stuffing I eat a couple hours beforehand. Uh, so, yeah, Ravens without a lot of key players. Who knows about Calais Campbell? He didn't practice today, or I, Monday, I should say, as we record this. Jimmy Smith did not practice either, although the practice report which was just tweeted out recently, was more of an estimation because they were only allowed a walkthrough before the facility was shut down. Uh, it has since opened again. But yeah, no Dobbins, no Brandon Williams, no Mark Ingram against Pittsburgh. So, I'll, so that's great. I'll say this. I uh, refreshed the lines for the first time since we started recording. And I we spoke pre-show about how I was surprised that the line that the line was there and that the line was still three points. Seems to have adjusted in the past hour or so. It is now Pittsburgh minus four and a half. That seems pretty fair to take into account the lack of two starting running backs and nixing the return of the Ravens' best run stopper. So we will put that as the line as we discuss this game. Pittsburgh listed at minus four and a half. Guys, short week. I don't even know how many practices this team is going to end up getting (laughs) this week leading up to the game. In theory, it's you know you don't have to do too much schematic stuff. It's a team you play twice a year. What really has changed in terms of what you need to do well against this team that wasn't the case three or four weeks ago? But I'll turn to you guys, Ravens offensively. I th- okay, let me back up actually because I think all three of us are not feeling great. Let's say about this game for the Ravens. So I'm going to frame it this way: for the Ravens to win this. Thanksgiving night game offensively what needs to happen for the result to end in a Ravens victory what do you guys think especially with Dobbins and Ingram now being out yeah they need to and obviously Dobbins especially was a key part of that but they need to at least attempt to replicate whatever they figured out that one Sunday afternoon against the Steelers that's the best they've run the ball all season um surprising giving the Steelers you know have a pretty good defense. Um, and we, we talked in the aftermath of that game. That game came down to what well, we've harped on a lot today. Uh, more the Ravens making mistakes. Horrible Lamar interception in that game. Uh, yeah, but was, he had three interceptions, two interceptions, uh, four turnovers, I guess, total. If he can limit the mistakes and if they can somehow replicate what they did to run the ball with Gus Edwards to get the Gus bus rolling downhill, that's their best chance to win. Yeah, I have no confidence that that's going to happen, but that's right. I mean, that's that's what needs to happen. A big breakout Gus Bus game would be awesome, you know. Cold Pittsburgh night. Everybody's trying to fight off the trip to fan watching the game, and Gus Edwards is just slowly beating the defense down. Now, the problem is the offensive line won't be able to block anybody, so it doesn't matter, but... That would be the ideal game plan, yes. Is it going to happen? No. <laughs> I have my doubts, but I'm at least trying to hold out some hope. <laughs> Defensively, what do the Ravens need to do? I suppose, what, keep this under 30 points? Uh, you know, what, what do the Ravens have to do 
to keep this a close game defensively so that the Ravens, in theory, can come out with a close victory in the end. Yeah, I'll go quickly. Tackling would be nice. That'd be a good start. Um, and then again, it's just limiting mistakes and stuff. Like, you know, it's prime time against the Steelers. They're going to break some stuff out that, you know, they'll, they'll always have a trick up their sleeve if you need it. I think the Ravens could do with a couple of those, but I don't have any faith in Greg Roman and being able to do that at this point on the other side of the ball. But for the defense, I have almost more faith in this unit than I do the offensive unit, especially with no Dobbins and Ingram, which is weird to say, but. The, the run game for the Steelers isn't that great. So even with some some guys up front missing, if you can kind of limit them there and force Ben to throw the ball, and hey, I said it last week, and he got a little closer. He had, he had the breakup of – he hit Tannehill in the arm that broke up uh, a pass play. Yannick Ngakwe, you want to show up? This might be a time for you. Uh, Matthew Judon, do something of, <laughs> of note, please. And – Getting a pass rush on Ben, being able to bring him down, which is hilarious, I know. We say that every time. But making them one-dimensional and then making sure that one dimension with all of those weapons just doesn't carve you up and down. Like, I don't think I don't think a few big plays will hurt this team necessarily, but just can't have it over and over and over again. And from the last time we played them, maybe the referees just making sure that they're not on TV every 15 freaking seconds – by every time that Ben throws a jump ball that's about 10 yards too short, they throw a flag for defensive pass interference. That would be a good start, too. But, again, in Pittsburgh, on prime time, I don't trust the referees to do anything other than be absolutely abysmal in favor of the Steelers. So I don't have a ton of confidence in that either. When, uh, when Sean Hockley uh, announces an illegal formation penalty for the Ravens uh, on Thanksgiving night on the third offensive play of the game, will that be your worst Thanksgiving ever, Tim? I might throw the wishbone through the television. I might throw it so hard it goes through the television, yeah. The best case, sure. not the best case, I should say, but the best thing about this game on Thanksgiving is that it's the night game, and, you know, things will be a little calmer at the time. You'll have some food in you, a couple of drinks. If it were that, like, 4 o'clock game, I think I'd be even sadder because you're still fully cognizant about what's going on at 4 o'clock, and it might be especially painful, but... That nighttime game, uh, you know, maybe you'll just take whatever small good things happen and, and be excited about it, whether or not that's points on the board or defensive plays made. Guys, the last thing, uh, and t- you, Tim, you talked about the referees, but intangible, special teams, Justin Tucker has has loved kicking uh, in he- Pittsburgh, has had way more success as a visiting kicker than a lot of other teams and kickers have. Is there a, a game in the bag here where Justin Tucker kicks, you know, four or five field goals and it's a squeaker over over the Pittsburgh Steelers because of special teams? Yeah, well, th- we talk about Tucker all the time. And, like, I think the the uh, commentators do their best job to jinx him, so I don't want to <laughs> talk about him anymore because they love talking about how great he is right before he lines up, which just stresses me out to, to no end during a game. But maybe a little more Duvarnay and Prochet in the special teams game. Like, nothing against them. I think they've been pretty good. But you're going up against a vastly superior team. You need these type of plays from these type of guys. And I think it would be a massive help uh, for the Ravens offense to get some big plays, good field position, and stuff like that. So, you know, again, as the theme is, I'm not confident it will happen. <laughs> but maybe some plays from Duvarnay or Prochet in special teams could also help this team a bunch as well. Yeah, I 
I, I'll just make my pick now. I, I, I am distraught about this game. Uh, I was a little more confident even uh, 24 hours ago. Not even 24 hours ago. I, I was uh, earlier today. I was like, oh, they got a chance. And then I, I checked my phone after several hours to discover that uh, multiple players have tested positive for COVID-19. Um, including what we have said is now the Ravens undisputed number one running back. Um, yeah, I, I gotta take Pittsburgh even, uh, with the line change at the, the minus four and a half. I, I just, I, I've, I've kind of thought this game was going to be a loss since the schedule was announced, uh, at Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving night. That doesn't seem to coming off the Titans game didn't seem to line up well for the Ravens. I think they just have too much going against them and to their, you know, haven't been playing well, frankly, uh, on their side. And uh, if there's one place you have to finish games, you have to close games, you have to be on your absolute A game, it's playing in Pittsburgh. And it's hard to imagine that team doing this right now. Tim, thoughts on the official pick? So what I put here um, in the rundown was – Steelers, and I don't care what the line is. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty down on this team. Maybe it's close, but even at going to minus four, um, especially no Dobbins, no Ingram. It's now minus four and a half. Four and a half. Excuse me. Half, <laughs> Does that half point intrigue you, Tim? <laughs> no. Steelers <laughs> minus four and a half uh, is my pick, and I think the Ravens. I think the Ravens fall to six and five, and we spend all of next pod like a raven trying to convince ourselves that oh no they'll run the table it'll be fine i actually do think that will happen <laughs> for the record that was uh, that was a sneak preview of next week's episode brought to you by j7 uh i said at the beginning of the episode or i should say before we started recording the line at the time was still three and i said i don't want to pick it it annoys me because i've been talking for weeks about how the Ravens were winning this game because Baltimore and Pittsburgh, they split way more years than they ever should in terms of the, the season series. And as this episode is, has gone by, I've, you know, I'm three quarters of the way through the cocktail. Uh, the Ravens line, this has now moved to minus four and a half for Pittsburgh. Uh, and I'm feeling thankful. I'm still feeling thankful that the Ravens are a good team, that they're more fun than they have been in years, even with the struggles that the team has had this year. I'm thankful for Lamar Jackson. I'm thankful for John Harbaugh going out onto the field to trash talk Malcolm Butler <laughs> and the Titans' antics on the Ravens' logo pregame. I did love that. I did love that. Do you know what the Titans have done in the past five years? Nothing. They've won nothing. Uh, and I love them having that sort of, I don't know, annoying confidence in a regular season game in mid-November when really the best thing they've done in the last 20 years is a forward lateral uh, that won them a playoff game. So good job, Tennessee. You guys are the NFL elite, except you are not. So I love Harbaugh. I'm thankful for him. Thankful for Lamar. And I'm just going to buck the trend here. I'm just going with it. Ravens plus four and a half. Do I think they will win this game? No, I do not. Do I think this ends up being a weird, way-too-close Ravens-Steelers game as it always is? Yes. They still have enough key players offensively. They still have their entire wide receiving core. They still have Lamar. 
the offensive line has essentially been what it is for the past few weeks. They've shuffled some guys around. Skura was benched. We didn't mention that at the top. Skura benched to start the Titans game because of his inability to snap the ball in a straight line. Maybe that cut has healed on his finger, and he's he's back this week as the starting center. But I just think we get a weird Thanksgiving game that is way too close for way too long, and the Ravens maybe end up losing by a field goal, but I'm taking Ravens plus four and a half, and I am excited to talk about that game next week with you guys. I'm going to bring up my other picks here, and then we'll I'll turn to my co-hosts. Uh, two and one last week with my picks. I got the Ravens pick right, and I got my tees, the three-team tees right as well. I did lose the Patriots pick to Houston because, of course, I lost that pick. 17-9 and nine on the season. I'm back with a 2-1 and one week last week, 17-9, and nine, and we, ain't gonna, we are going to roll with that with the Ravens plus 4.5. I'm picking in a, pa- a Patriots game, of course, because I'll probably get this wrong too, but it's Arizona. I'm taking the Cardinals, minus 2.5 at New England. They just have more firepower, a better team. I think the Patriots, you know, the Ravens game was their Super Bowl and they then lost, and they're back officially, not officially, but basically out of playoff contention. I think the morale there is a bit lower than it was a week ago, and Arizona goes in and wins that. They're minus 2.5 again. And New Orleans, they're traveling to Denver, and they're 5.5-point favorites. I just think the roster, the talent, is way better than Denver's, even with Taysom Hill just doing the dink and dunk and and run offense. And I'm taking New Orleans at minus five and a half. I think they win that game by 10 points over Denver. So those are my three picks. Ravens plus four and a half. Arizona minus two and a half. And New Orleans minus five and a half. I, um, in addition to picking against the Ravens, sadly, which I, I hate to do, um, I'm picking against Kirk Cousins. I do not uh, believe after what, the atrocity they committed of losing to the Dallas Cowboys in Minnesota in horrible fashion. Uh, the Vikings are not back, as it turns out. I'm taking the Carolina Panthers, plus four and a half. I know Teddy Tugel is probably still out, but I think Matt Rule's a good coach. I didn't know if he'd be. Uh, he did good stuff at Baylor, but you never know about college coaches going to the NFL. But they're very well coached and going against Kirk Cousins. And he, they, uh, you know, I, I believe... Uh, I just, I can't take Kirk Cousins as a four and a half point favorite. That's really all that comes down to after uh, what the Vikings did. And then my final one is I am taking the Kansas City Chiefs uh, minus three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the Chiefs are going to show out for this game. Um, I think uh, they kind of rise to the opponent. They, you know, coming off a tough game, but. Patrick Mahomes has been awesome this year, and uh, yeah, I think it'd be funny if Tom Brady loses. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going with my heart, what I want to happen, and I'm going with the Chiefs minus three. Yeah, at time of recording, we haven't seen Tampa play, play the Rams, a game that I'm actually really looking forward to on Monday Night Football, but I have the same thing. Kansas City is quiet, quietly just awesome still. They haven't lost Mahom- in over a calendar year, they said on the broadcast uh, Sunday night. <laughs> Yeah, Mahomes, I think, has 25 touchdowns and one interception. Like, there was all these, oh, well, Russell Wilson's never gotten an MVP vote. And look at Josh Allen and what he's doing. And Alvin Kamara is carrying this uh, this New Orleans team. 
Patrick Mahomes is going to win the, the MVP. Um, and they're just quietly destroying teams. Tampa is too inconsistent, too up and down. And look, you get the line at minus three here. And I think that's that's good value for the Super Bowl champions over a very inconsistent Brady-led Buccaneers team. So I would take that. I uh, took the Steelers, obviously. And then I'm taking Miami, minus seven. Big spread, minus seven. But they're playing the Jets. Um, the Jets are bad. Nothing's changed. The Jets officially eliminated from playoff contention. Adam Gase, who late in the game uh, took a timeout after an incomplete pass. <laughs> so they're trying to tank. And Miami, I think, I like Tua. I liked what I saw from him in the couple games. Obviously, the Denver game was not his best, and he got benched. But I think Brian Flores is a good coach. Excuse me. I think he's going to have these guys ready to play uh, on Sunday, and they're going to come out with a vengeance after the loss to Denver. Um, and they have a good, good defense, too. Sorry, Joe. I'm taking Miami minus seven, uh, Kansas City minus three, and then Steelers, whatever that line ends up being. I don't care. I'm taking the Steelers. The, the only thing I want to say to your point on the Jets, Tim, is uh, I don't know if you all are aware, but uh, Brashad Perriman has caught the same amount of touchdowns from Joe Flacco this season for the Jets as they did in their uh, – Several seasons together with the Baltimore Ravens. So that's just a fun little huh, uh, thing every week when you're watching the Jets. But yeah, they're real bad. They're real bad. So Antonio said it. We're thankful for Lamar Jackson because there is an alternate universe where Joe Flacco is somehow still the QB of this team. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us. The last thing left to do here is to answer the random Raven. Tim, can you give us those clues one more time? Sure, yeah. So quickly, uh, this Baltimore native came into the league in 2011 in his rookie season. He played in 12 games but only had four catches. Baltimore was the only NFL team this guy played for. He did sign with the Patriots in November of 2013 but was cut 10 days later. He wore the same number currently worn by a receiver who complained about not getting the ball enough but now can't even catch a cold. In clue number five, this player was an undrafted free agent uh, signed by the Ravens that same year. The team also drafted another player in the same position that went to the same college as this player. And bonus clue, if you need it, lovely listener, that college was the University of Maryland. Go Terps. So I have a name here. Uh, I will say at first, when you said the first clue, I leapt at Michael Campanero being the player. But then you said (laughs) the year that he was no longer on the Ravens. And I remember Michael Campanero was on the Ravens for way too long. They <laughs> believed in him for many, many seasons. Uh, and he was also a, like a Baltimore-ish native. He was a Maryland native, but I'm pretty sure he's from one of the counties uh, outside of Baltimore. But the name I did, did come up with, with the player that you said has shares a number, cannot catch a cold, in the COVID era, no less, can't catch a cold. But... Uh, Jace, if you have not come up with one yet, I will, uh, throw my guess out here. Uh, I, I got nothing. The one name I, uh, that sprang to mind, cause I thought it was Maryland and I assumed that Torrey Smith is the guy, the other guy, but the only name I could pull that played that roughly same time was Tony Logan, <laughs> but I don't think that's him. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember him being I him. will not be guessing Tony Logan, a name I have never heard in my entire life. So that's a, Jace, that's a poll for you. Uh, I'm going to say a name that I'm 90% sure in that I'm getting all the letters right, but I think it's Laquan Williams. Laquan Williams is correct. Very nice job. What a name. Number 15. That takes takes me back. 
I was trying to just think of players who were on like the 2010 Terrapins. <laughs> I couldn't even <laughs> pull that. Williams, he had like a few yeah, was... catches that were way more important than what his role on the team was, I feel like, in those few seasons that he was on the Ravens. And then was just gone, and then I never heard from again, which is, I guess, the life of an NFL playmaker. But that's a fantastic, that's fantastic incredible. choice. <laughs> that, we're getting deep cuts now. <laughs> that's a deep cut. That's a really, really deep cut. Well, Tony Logan, if you must know, Antonio, or don't remember, he had back-to-back punt returns. Uh, in back-to-back weeks for the Terps, our freshman year was like a ECC record or something at the time. <laughs> was that like the Danny O'Brien-led Terps or which that was random that. quarterback was that? Okay. Oh boy, Maryland football, 2010 to 2014. What a ride! All right, we got to get out of here. Oh, don't this forget is... Maryland basketball too. Never made a tournament in our four years at Maryland. Maryland, it's a basketball school. There, it's a basketball school. All right, we have been going on for way too long here. We had a lot to get out this week. We were very sad about the Titans game. We're mostly sad about the Steelers game coming up. But keep out. Keep the hope. Keep the faith, guys. Ravens, still a winning team. Still 6-4. and You know what Lamar has not done is lose three games in a row. And that will be put to the test this Thursday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers for Tim Horsey. And Jay Sevens. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for staying with us as we get deeper and deeper into a, what has been a tricky season for the Baltimore Ravens. We will be back next week to talk Thanksgiving dishes, to talk sides, to talk Ravens, to talk NFL. Thank you again for being with us. This is Pod Like a Raven. We will see you, see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.